This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsliers.com. Candice Mudrick, Head of Market Analysis, and Tom Wyman, Market Lead for Games from NewZoo. Welcome both to the podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. We're super excited to be here. We're huge fans of Deconstructor <laughs> of Fun. Well, I'm super excited to have you here. I just learned that NewZoo is 100 people strong. Wow. Including the interns. <laughs> Including the interns. We, we never forget the interns. They work the hardest because they have- They do. They do. We love our interns. That's a lot of people. Where are your offices at? Yeah, uh, so our, our HQ is in Amsterdam, but we also have uh, satellite offices in San Francisco and Shanghai. 
uh, although these days sort of everybody is remote right now and nobody is back in the office. And when are you going to be back at the office? Because you're, you're now, both of you are in Amsterdam, correct? That's correct. And yeah. that's a really good question. We wish the we king. knew ourselves. <laughs> Uh, the Netherlands is not really doing that great in terms of uh, uh, vaccinations mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. infections were quite high for Europe. Uh, so it's it's TBD when we'll go back to the office. But the one thing um, that that will be happening is that we are switching to a hybrid format. Mm -hmm. So we've surveyed everybody in the company and we did notice that there's a, a strong desire for people to not go back to things as usual, but to, you know, spend maybe three days in the office, two days at home. Mm. And it makes sense. You're an, you're an analyst specialist organization where a lot of work is just researching. And yes. Nuzu focuses only on games, right? Yes. Yes. Games and esports. So everything touching the games industry is, is what we cover. Mm. Yeah, and, and I can see it even from, from the other backgrounds here. You're all sitting on rally chairs. Uh, you all <laughs> are working on towers. So, so you know, you play the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've been playing games my, my whole life. I built my first PC when I was like 15. So, you know, I've been in this for a while. That's really cool. Uh, so tell me more about Nuzu. Like, like what are all the, the things that you do? Because 100 people, like, you know, it's when we do a little <laughs> bit of a research and deconstructor of fun, it's like nobody's full time. We crank, you know, a little bit during the nights, just get some stuff from Sensor Tower, analyze the reports, and then write about 100 pages. And, uh, and yeah, there's only a couple of people. But if I, if I had 100 people, yeah. the reports would be insane. And then your reports but, are really thorough. So, so tell me what you do. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, well, let's just say like you guys are probably way smarter than we are, right? So I'm not not surprised that you're able to crank out 100 pages like that. But um, the thing is, is Newsu actually has a, a lot of different products. And most people know us from the reports or forecasts that, that we put out. Um, but there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. So we have four main core pillars of products. Uh, the first is our analytics platform, which is something that's uh, recently new uh, in, in 2020. So we have a lot of different data partnerships, such as Aptopia and Reddit. Um, and within our platform, we try to centralize all of the different data metrics uh, relating to games that we have. So for example, you can find PC and console and mobile mouse, uh, viewership data from Twitch and YouTube, Reddit engagement data, um, all the, the forecasts and the market sizing, uh, there's even in investments and sponsorships data in there and, and more. So we just kind of, everything related to games that we have in our data warehouse, we try to put it in the platform. And we have three access tiers there. So we have free, pro and expert. So that's one pillar. The second pillar is the reports. And we have four of them. We have the esports and live streaming report, the global games market report, the global mobile market report and the cloud gaming, the global cloud gaming report. They're also available to access through the analytics platform, but they do require a separate subscription. And the reports are typically a combination of market sizing data, forecasts, uh, and trends. The most popular report is the global games market report. Yes, it so, is. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. And Tom, Tom is the owner of that. So <laughs> yeah. Very proud of that. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I also, uh, the, the next pillar, so I, I'll go into kind of methodology and data source a little bit later, but let's keep going on the pillars. Uh, so the, the next pillar is consumer insights, and we do yearly syndicated consumer research in 33 countries, 
um, reaching between 1,500 and 4,000 respondents per, per country. Uh, these are online consumer surveys, leveraging our uh, gamer panel that we have with Dynata. So we're interviewing, you know, 10, reaching ages between 10 and 65 for mature markets, between 10 and 50 for growth markets. Um, and the consumer surveys are where we derive information like gaming demographics, franchise preferences, esports participation, and any other kind of specific gaming behaviors on a per country basis. Now, in addition to that, we also do kind of ad hoc surveys depending on what is interesting to, to the market at the time. So for example, last year, our, our yearly sentiment uh, research was on diversity and inclusion. Uh, the last pillar, and, and we're still not, not even done, just that these are the four main pillars. The last pillar is custom work. Uh, that is a combination of custom surveys, leveraging the, the gamer panel that I mentioned earlier, as well as consulting projects. So we do have a sub-brand uh, called Nuzu Consulting, where we do handle quite a, a wide range of consultancy topics, which can be, I mean, it varies really, really widely. It's anything from game development advisory to financial due diligence. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it honestly, the, the different types of projects that we've covered, it, it can come from any, any sort of client bucket. Mm -hmm. uh, under this category, we also do uh, joint marketing projects. For example, the co-branded trend reports or insights articles that are sponsored by our partners. Mm -hmm. One example of this is the recent report on cloud gaming in China that we did jointly with Tencent. So those are the four pillars. Sure. Were, and I'm, I'm just curious to know, did, were, how many of these pillars were you aware of before I just went well, through all Well, see, analytics platform, did not know that. Never accessed, there's a free tier. Did not know about that, so I'll definitely check that out. Reports, of course, everybody knows the reports, the green graphs, that's the Newsu stuff. Um, yeah. People reference those, you can find the uh, you can find them online pretty easily. Every time you search for something, you get the Newsu report with the circles and, and the, the billions next to them. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the consumer insights, I did not know that you have these, these small teams, you know, basically these panels around the world. And that makes sense uh, because different demographics are very different. And uh, just referencing to the Facebook report that came, well, they do it quite often, but just the recent one where they, you know, focused on, I think it was Germany, South Korea, UK, and US. So through that, you're able to see how different demographics perform on, on the same metrics and make sense that you have this, the same type of approach. And then uh, consulting, did not know that either. Probably you guys work with private equities, uh, large yes. publishers. So, so of course you, you don't <laughs> work with the developers. You work with the, uh, with the, uh, with the ones who need a more high level data on trends and, um, and, and that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We work with, um, we work with a lot of different companies. So I'll talk mm -hmm. also about like, who are our clients who actually subscribes yeah. to Newsu? The McKinsey, uh, we... of course. And the <laughs> <laughs> we have like five different client buckets. Uh, the biggest is game developers and publishers. Mm -hmm. They are our, you know, our lifeblood. Um, but we also have a strong presence with consumer brands, sports media companies, um, yeah, finance and consulting firms, um, as well as hardware and peripheral companies. We have a very strong uh, peripheral consumer insights product. Um, and the last one being uh, mobile companies, uh, telecoms and OEMs. Nice. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, yeah. All right. Plenty of stuff. Now I understand that there's a hundred people. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
let's let's start talking about the uh, the latest reports. So of course we're going to probably talk about two two most importantly. One is the cloud gaming report that uh, my co-hosts on Twig kind of took a shot at, especially <laughs> the fact of in 2020 there was 600 million in revenue coming in from cloud gaming. So let's let's just you know let's dive in on that and then. Yeah. Let's follow it up with something that I actually have some input into, and that is the games update, and especially you know looking at the uh, the mobile. But let's also talk about the PC. Let's talk about the console, and the outlooks for 2021. So cloud gaming, 600 million. Where did that come yeah. from? Sure, sure. So I I will love to take you through um, our our approach, our methodology to cloud gaming, so so you can understand where that crazy, absolutely crazy number is coming from, and why maybe it's not so crazy. Okay, so we for cloud gaming, we combine a, uh, a top down approach with a bottoms up one. So on the top down approach, what we what we do is, you know, you look at the total online population, um, then you narrow it down to total gamers in the world, like 2.7 billion, right? Um, and then we narrow it down further to where are the, the players with required minimum internet speed, because obviously, in order to play cloud gaming, you need to have somewhat of a, a stable, strong internet. Um, and then we go on a country by country basis and we say, well, what services are available in these countries? Um, so you have to be living where service is available. And then the next funnel down is, are you even aware of cloud gaming? And this is where our, uh, you know, our your yearly syndicated consumer research in 33 countries comes into play. We can check for cloud gaming awareness and, and interest here. Um, so then after, are you aware of cloud gaming? Then the next funnel down is, um, do you are you even interested in it? Because out of all the, the gamers in the world, we have nine different gaming personas, and maybe only three of them are are appropriate for cloud gaming. You know, the the time filler candy crush gamers, they're not interested in cloud gaming. It's not really something that provides value to them. Uh, cloud gaming is really more for the, the more core gamers, actually, the more ultimate gamers, or the people who are sort of aspirational PC gamers. Um, so that's how we narrow it down to cloud interested. And then to get to a converted, we then use the, the bottoms up approach, which is estimations for all of the paying users on the different services. So the cloud gaming services that we split out is PlayStation Now, xCloud, Stadia, GeForce Now, Tencent in the future. Uh, they're in beta right now. They have like three services in beta. Tencent, uh, NetEase, and then we group all the like telecom services and stuff into other. Um, and so then that's how we can get to a converted. So looking at, well, what is that, that converted number versus the, the serviceable obtainable market number, we can then use that to forecast out for the next couple of years, making some assumptions about, you know, increase in, in, in converted and, and some increase in spend. So then, uh, then you have the converted. You the, uh, that gives you the total amount of players, correct? Like that gives you down. the total amount of converted paying users. So our converted paying users um, for 2020 is estimated to be 14, around 14 million. And if you look at the growth that we've been seeing in some of the services, uh, these, there's a lot of publicly reported information um, available. So for example, GeForce Now announced 10 million registered users um, in, in April, just, just now. And you know, five or six months ago in, in November, they announced 5 million registered users. So that's a growth of 100% over a period of six months. Now, granted, um, registered users is not the same thing as, as converted paying. Uh, they also have a free tier. So we mm -hmm. obviously are making an, uh, an assumption and 
about how many of those registered users are actually paying subscribers. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. benefit about being mm-hmm. sort of a, uh, a, a, a thought leader in this space is that we also have a lot of companies coming to us to provide, uh, they, they are helping us, they're providing um, some, some sanity checks on the numbers that we have and also providing some information about mm-hmm. their own users to help us get to this market size. So the other data sources that we use aside from publicly reported information is our partnership with Aptopia, which does allow us to see uh, monthly active users and downloads of the cloud gaming apps on the mobile stores, for example, on iOS and Google Play. So you can see that you know Stadia, even though unfortunately its first party ambitions have died, it still got a, quite a few downloads and, and still has quite a, quite a number of monthly active users uh, just looking at the app stores. Mm-hmm. So that's part, partially how we uh, how we can arrive at these numbers. And and you do do you see the um, so one of the things that that comes with all these subscription services is the perception of extremely low retention that people come in just get the first month and there's usually some kind of a discount for that month and they usually started just because there's a certain game and I'm even using my own um, behavior uh, let's say with Ubisofts. Ubisoft Connect is a good example. Like they, they might run an event or, or they have a game for a really low price or not, not even a low price. Like you subscribe, it's going to be $1 this month and you can play this mm-hmm. Division right. 2, for example. And I would do that for a month, maybe two, and then I cancel it immediately after that because I've played the game. Right. I mean, it's very similar to HBO Netflix. So there is going to be, you know, low, low barrier to, to entry also means lower mm-hmm. barrier to exit. But the great thing about games is there's constantly new games coming out that, that are pulling people back in. Mm-hmm. So it is very, the retention is, is absolutely very strongly correlated with, uh, with the content. Um, and if you look historically at where the largest bump uh, to, to users in cloud gaming came from, um, it was really tied to two games in, in the past six months. It was Cyberpunk drove a massive amount of, of interest in cloud gaming because it was the best way to play Cyberpunk. It was mm. broken on, on last-gen consoles. Um, and also Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So you can kind of see when the major announcements of the, the games or the major launches come out, and you can look at the, the downloads of, of the cloud gaming apps, and you can see that there, there's definitely a correlation there. So it is going to be up to the services to make sure that their content catalog remains strong um, in order to keep these users, definitely. Yeah, and that's where the other uh, Stadia, Stadia, of course, faltered. You know. Right, right. It, it was it was not no. a problem in you know from our perspective. It wasn't a problem from the user interest side. It was the business model problem mm-hmm. primarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Oh, and the the revenue. So then I didn't get I didn't explain the revenue yet. So. Then uh, our revenues include not just the amount of money that people are spending on the subscriptions, because that that can be relatively low, right? It's the amount of money that is spent on the games that they're playing on these services. So for example, if you're buying, you know, three games to play on a cloud gaming service and they're each $60, then you're up to $180 uh, for one person that is playing a cloud gaming service. Okay, that's, that's clear. So that's uh, so that's cloud gaming report. Um, I don't think I don't think there's there's any questions about that. <laughs> no questions. Oh, one, one and more. I didn't point. I didn't have any questions. Like it's it's always uh, it's, the the question mark is always like what is considered as cloud gaming. That's that's yeah. probably the biggest thing, and um, yeah. It's if I can speak to that, it's it's still like we face when we make this report. We also face these same questions. Like for example. Um, 
Ken has mentioned that we track PlayStation Now as a cloud gaming service, and it is, but then a lot of people will use PlayStation Now to download old games. And that, that technically, we, we don't consider that to be cloud gaming. So even for PlayStation Now, we don't just assume all PlayStation Now users, all those, those million, or I, I don't remember at the time what it was, but all those million people are paying for cloud gaming services. So that even those assumptions, we try to take into the model, but the, that's also something that shifts every time. Um, and xCloud, the same thing. Now that it's bundled into Game Pass Ultimate, we can't just assume that every Game Pass Ultimate user and all the, the money that they spend for that subscription can be considered cloud gaming revenues because realistically they're not. And it's mm-hmm. just a portion of those Game Pass users that might be making use of the xCloud functionality. So we do account for that, but that's also you know, one of the challenges of reporting on the technology that's emerging like cloud gaming is that these things change quite regularly. And yeah. that's also why we update our report regularly. And, you know, cloud gaming has the most potential, I think, personally, in the the emerging regions, the PC aspirational gamers. So there's places like Latin America, Argentina, and Brazil have some of the highest cost PlayStations globally in the world, right? It's like $1,000 converted to USD if you wanted to buy a PlayStation 5 in Argentina. And the reason why is because of taxes. There's insane import taxes on any hardware that that comes into the country. So that really creates um, an environment where um, immersive AAA gaming is out of reach for the the average gamer, but that doesn't mean that they're not interested in it. Um, But cloud gaming can be a way to, to bring you know, lower cost immersive gaming to these regions. And indeed the first time that we did the cloud gaming awareness and interest survey back in 2019, we were even surprised to see that the strongest interest came kind of across the board consistently in the markets where consoles weren't really um, available or, or they, weren't, they weren't prevalent. And it was because yeah, cloud gaming was seen as a way to access PC gaming for people that, that can't normally. They have, sorry, I just caught up. Like they have extremely high tax towards hardware. Yeah. So they don't want computers in their country. It's that. Uh, <laughs> it's that. It's very hard to. It's very expensive to buy. Yeah, to buy a GPU, to buy a PlayStation or an Xbox. It is extremely expensive to bring in hardware. Um, but that also actually applies to software. So the, yeah. I think some developers don't have regional pricing for these uh-huh. regions and the, the high taxes also applied to software making, you know, kind of compounding the problem. Um, and this is why piracy has actually been very popular in Latin America because that's that was a way to make it more affordable for, for people. Yeah, sounds like a, one of the worst tax policies I've ever heard of. But <laughs> shout out to Argentina for yeah. not allowing computers to enter your country. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> of course, the, the news do doesn't take into account. This is my own personal opinion about <laughs> alleged Argentinian tax policies. Um, anyways, <laughs> should we talk about the games updates then? Uh, the yeah. PC, mobile, and console markets. Yeah, uh, I think this is this is where I step in as well. Um, and hopefully, this is something that is a bit more familiar to all of us. This is mm-hmm. where the fancy green graphs come from. Um, and, and I thought it'd be nice to talk about um, our upcoming game or our new, just released games update. Um, so to give a bit of background um, before I get into that, the Global Games Market Reports that we are all familiar with, um, we update that um, four times a year, but twice a year is when we review our global market 
revenue estimate and our forecast. And our methodology there is we track, right now we're at 144 publicly listed gaming companies. Plus we make estimations for another 50 or so um, private companies. And we've been doing this consistently since 2012. Um, so tracking on a quarterly basis, what's your sales revenue from games? Then um, what platform are you generating this on? So whether that's PC, mobile or console, and then the region that we uh, that the is spent. So um, what we're tracking here is where consumers are spending that, not where the money is earned. So if a, if a company like Activision Blizzard is headquartered in the US, we don't attribute all that money to the US, but we look at where those players are spending it. Um, and the fun part about April is that we get the annual reports or full year reports for all of these companies. And that allows us to review our um, 2020 estimates, which we've just done and then refine our 2021 estimate. And I thought it might be nice to, to dive a little bit into that, um, what we found for the year. Um, I think 2020, it's been covered many times. Uh, the pandemic is obviously a terrible situation, but if you are making games or selling games, then it was quite a good year for you. It's the um, uh, highest recorded growth um, for the entire market since we started doing this. Um, our final number ended up at 23.1% uh, year-on-year growth for the entire market, ending up at that beautiful multi-billion number of 177.8 billion. Um, yeah, it's, 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 for me, that's quite remarkable. Now, I am a numbers nerd, um, so obviously I love this, but... Uh, um, it's been a it's been a really good year um, to talk about how that is split, and I, I think uh, Mishka, you would be most interested in mobile. Um, mobile's, uh, let me see, uh, just short of half of that. So, um, forty nine percent of the market made on mobile, eighty seven billion, uh, with the remainder split up uh, about thirty percent for for console games. Um, console games actually had the best year. Um, grew even more than mobile did last year, and uh, PC games is is uh, just uh, just a bit over twenty percent of the market, thirty seven billion. How much was the uh, the mobile market growth in your in your in your um, estimates? Twenty seven percent, twenty seven point one to be exact. Um, with a lot of that, actually, it's it's pretty much all across the world, even in Japan. Uh, the market grew 11%, which to me is crazy because those people spend an average of $450 on mobile games per year already. So wow. I'm always amazed that there's still room for growth in Japan, but uh, they find more players or they find some more money to spend. It's uh, some more time. Yeah. That's that's really some more time. And there's that new horse racing game that's that's popular there right now, right? <laughs> I can't look at the Japanese games. They they they. No, then you start thinking like, oh, if we could do this in the West, <laughs> and then you're in the rabbit hole that never works out. <laughs> that's uh, so we're always looking at um, like I just mentioned, we're looking at about 140 uh, quarterly reports um, every three months. And uh, it's always a, it's always a pleasure to dive into the Japanese uh, quarterly reports because I'm amazed that the games that make it popular there, and also the way they present them is a lot of fun. I can actually recommend it. Like a company like Cyber Agent, and, and I'm like, 
wow, this is so far out of my comfort zone, but I guess it's making millions, so good for them. Yeah, yeah um, it's a very unique market. Uh, so mobile making half of all games revenue. Yeah. And growing faster than the market average. Indeed. Okay. All right. So how, how do you break down mobile? Like, do you break down it further from there geographically, uh, by categories? Is there any kind of breakdowns or, or demographics? Um, yeah, we do. So the, the, the most simplest breakdown that we do is, is smartphone versus tablets. Um, but I, I think you can imagine as well that the, it's, yeah, it's not very interesting and it's yeah. 95% smartphone or I mean, the, the exact share is yeah, yeah, it's like pretty a, much like, that. It was important in like 2012. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that by now it, it's not it's not as interesting, but it's something that we've done. So we are going to keep doing it for now at least. Uh, yeah. And some, some people are still interested in it. Um, yeah, but, why? I don't know either. It's like the modern it's a good smartphone. Cloud gaming device. <laughs> yeah. The modern smartphones are almost tablets anyway. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's just let's just let's just not. Like I know every <laughs> platform has it. Like this is the tablet sales. Like I get it. This is not 2012 or 13. Like we 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 understood what iPad was. Now our normal devices are, are as big as the first iPad. So let's relax on the iPads. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of regions, um, on, on the highest level that we forecast, we split the, the global market in 12 regions. Um, do you want me to list each and every one of those? Just the most important, like, like you tell me what's important and, uh, and I'll and tell you what I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, of course you have uh, North America, uh, Latin America, then we have Europe, um, Maya, so Middle East, uh, and Africa. Um, we do a, a individual split for the three largest Asia Pacific markets, so China, Japan, and Korea. Um, then we have Southeast Asia, uh, a market we, we dub rest of Asia, but that's uh, really India and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, smaller emerging or growth markets. And finally, Oceania. Um, in terms of what's interesting for, for mobile, I think it's always interesting to look at those three largest um, APAC markets, so China, Japan, Korea. Mm -hmm. um, and like I just mentioned, they, they, they found room to grow in, in Japan, which, which is remarkable just because of how much they already spend on average. Um, like there's only so many people there. Um, and, and in terms of size, uh, in terms of mobile spending, it's, it's almost as big as the US. Yeah. Um, and it's is not, it, has it been relatively stable till this date and this was just a jump or has it been slowly growing? It's been slowly growing. Um, Japan, not so much. Japan grew a lot like early, early days, mm -hmm. I guess, maybe not early days, but like mid 2010s, mm -hmm. 2016, 2017. And, and kind of the last years we saw that drop off. Um, that growth. So then we had like one, one and a half percent growth. There was still growth. We, we haven't actually reported a decline for, for a long time. Um, and, and the funny thing is that, that prior to this whole pandemic, um, we, we thought the same thing. And even back in October, so back in October, we did our revenue review for the first half of 2020. Mm -hmm. And that's when we first started seeing that, that lockdown effect um, impacting game revenues. And even then we thought, well, Japan, not really growing that fast, but then towards the end of the year, um, like I said, they found some money there and uh, still double digit growth. Um, but compared to uh, say in North America, um, where they reported uh, or where we reported 22% growth, 
um, China is 35% growth. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, same in, in like emerging regions, uh, Southeast Asia, almost 40%. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a very good year for mobile. And, um, and do you do any kind of other breakdowns than, than the, uh, the basically Android, iPad, iOS? Do you do, and then, then of course country, but do you do anything demographic or category based, like you know genres? Yeah, yeah, so we do look at genres. Sorry, Candice, what are you going to say? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can cover. So, uh, yeah, we do obviously do the breakdown between um, the App Store, Google Play, mm -hmm. and third-party Android stores, and that is actually an interesting data point because the third-party stores are are growing. Um, I think they had around maybe 12% uh, market share in, in 2018 in terms of revenues, but that's going to grow towards 17% uh, by 2023. So the third-party stores definitely have, have some room there. Um, and we do break down by app store category. So our, our mobile data partner is Aptopia. Um, we, we previously also have had AirNow data. And we, yeah, indeed, we break it down just by app store category. Um, instead of, you know, instead of uh, the genres that, that we define for, for games. So we have our own taxonomy that we use for cross-platform games, mm -hmm. um, but for mobile, it's still a little bit difficult to do that. So for now, we are doing the app store category breakdowns. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, so the, the ones that, that are super misleading because you yes. can put your game into multiple different genres. Yes. <laughs> and also everything is an action game. And everything yeah, is, everything is an action game. Oh. Everything is like, it's a, it's like, so what are we doing? Like, cause you can put in like the same game can be put into multiple categories. They need to fix their taxonomy. Um, yes. Yeah. That would make our life easier. <laughs> <well>. Other things. <laughs> it's, it's probably one of the hardest things to work on though taxonomy because you know we we have tried and we recognize you know we're evolving our taxonomy constantly as well to make sure that we account for all the varieties of mobile games. But it's evolving. Yes. And and it's it's almost like I can't tell you how many conversations we've had about you know, is it, is it this game? Is this game this or this? Or like, what is the boundary of sandbox? What makes something this or not? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it becomes impossible. So we tried to move away from that to a place in our platform where we tag games with certain attributes. So we say, okay, this is, has, you know, this is a first person perspective or this has like this art style. And then you can combine different um, elements of the game rather than just saying, okay, this is this genre. And we also have multiple genre tagging in our in our platform as well. So something can be like primarily an adventure game, but also have simulation elements, but also have you know sandbox elements. Yeah, it's a, the the way. I mean, I've been building taxonomies for the past three <laughs> three years. So yeah. what's important there? What I've noticed is just staying staying consistent and updating. So once it's consistent and once you're updating, it doesn't make that much difference because you're following the same circle. And then if if the things happen in that circle, you just you know, it's like what I'll give an example. Puzzle RPG. This is where where people go crazy with games like um, Empires and Puzzles. Yeah, Empires and Puzzles mm -hmm. is a great example. But then you have uh, Best Fiends from Seriously, which is extremely casual version of that same thing. And people are like, well, it's more like a match. Th uh, it's more like a line matching game. It's like who cares? We're gonna put it in Puzzle RPG. Like if you want to follow that one individual game, just follow that individual game. Like, do you have any other games that are like that? No. So what does it matter? <laughs> so, and then there's the merge category. Like, what did you do with merge? It's like, is it match three? Is it still match three? It's or merge. Like, now we have it's to create merge. merge. We just put stuff into merge. And um, 
And and through that, it's like the, the there are there are certain games that can throw you into a loop because they're merge games that have a 4X component. Well, mm-hmm. actually, it's a 4X game with a merge component. I think it's called Top Battles. I think that's that's the, the Chinese uh, 4X game. And of course, their revenue is so big that it trumps you know, the merged dragons and the ever merges and everything. And then you have to take a look like, excuse me, now we're, we're throwing the whole genre into a wrong direction. Let's take a look at this one game that has a significant impact in the whole, the whole um, sub genre. And then you understand like, no, actually this is a 4X game, a typical 4X game, but it has a merge, a merge element, just like many 4X games have an RTS element or an RPG element. And then you just change the tag into different (laughs) category into different genre and a different subgenre and everything cleans up and you say excel please update boom now we're done yeah. <laughs> and um I, and i understand there's there's some work but we've been working on this with with sensor tower we worked on this with game refinery and and um it i understand with a service provider it's hard for you because you have to listen to your customers the good part about us uh, about deconstructor fun is we don't have customers <laughs> so, <laughs> no. So I don't give a shit. I just called it a merge game. If you don't like it, don't use this taxonomy. <laughs> That's yeah, actually, how frequently uh, are fun. you making the updates? Because yeah. it's like, oh man, like they just added, you know, this element. Now the whole thing. Now we have to re-tag no, it. No, it's 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 more like it's more just like a, a small discussion about stuff. Like the the hyper casual games are the ones that that. Well, let's take a step back. There's not that many new games being launched. That's a fact. Uh, the amount of games is pretty much the same in the market. And most of the games that are being launched are hyper casual games and their taxonomy. I don't even want to talk about it. Like we have one, but I do not want to talk about hyper casual taxonomy. <laughs> I don't want to even talk about hyper casual. We'll avoid it. We'll avoid it. That's but, for another but, day. But for them, it's important. They have, and they have come yeah. new genres and new approaches and, and so forth. And then there's ton of new games coming in all the time. So that's a difficult part, but for everything else, everything else that is in a purchase driven, there's not that many games that you should be even looking at in, in genres that are changing. So, you know, there are some companies that are thinking like, we need an AI to really follow this. No, you don't. You need just a couple of interns and you're good to go because there's not that many games. Like you maybe get like 15 games a week. I'm sure your interns can, can cover those. Like, like as long as you have a very clear def- definition of your taxonomy, where you write down, what do you mean by this? What do you don't mean by this? And it's, it's, it's really like one pagers around it. And, um, and yeah, and just be willing to change. Like Call of Duty Mobile, is it a battle royale game or is it a first person shooter game? It's both. Both. You could say both. That's why we have two. You could tag it with both. Yeah, but but to be fair towards them, because it's such an awesome game, we just put it into first person shooter and now they dominate the whole subgenre. Who cares? (laughs) So instead of being like the the fourth largest battle royale game, let's just put them the the biggest first person shooter game. Because that's also I also think we tag them as a shooter. Yeah, and but but it's also where you start that game. You have to level up to I think level five or eight before you can enter battle royale so we can safely say that the battle royale is additional mode even mm. though it might be the most popular mode we don't know so who cares we tagged it at first as a mode we said battle royale is a mode yes. in the beginning but then yeah. the problem is that like clients look at it as a genre and say why don't you have battle royale as a genre so then yeah. you know it does make sense it's easier to have these discussions if you consider it a genre but yeah. we came yeah. to the same conclusion exactly and then but but at the same time you can take a step back and look at the whole because there is there's a category and then there's genres and then you can just look at the um and there's subgenres 
and you can just take a, a step back to a genre level where it's a part of shooters and now it's going to be a top 10 shooter and then you can do the uh you know you can compare it to the greena or to upcoming apex or to other to other games and so forth so so it's not like they get lost into different things but but um but yeah that's that's how we've operated that taxonomy but it does require um you know, monthly updates to it, if you want to be very, very, um, very coherent to it, and at least yearly bigger updates where you change around the genres and so forth. But, but the discussion is going to be never ending, because people yeah. want their games to be dominating, or, or we made this game, and we don't consider it this, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, That's the, the biggest one, I think. So I think on our taxonomy, it's the thing where we get most feedback from clients with yeah. exactly that. So them saying, well, we don't consider us to be a strategy game, we're a um 4x rts uh puzzle game yeah exactly where, where they come up with their own definition yeah exactly and it's it's uh yeah it's a challenge it's it's we get far more feedback on that than uh, what we get on say the market numbers that we just discussed that's something yes. that people are like okay news says it's news says it so it's it's true uh which is also kind of a luxury but uh it's uh it's interesting how that works but yeah. even the definitions of theme like what is what is high fantasy that that is that is absolutely a discussion that will have no end <laughs> that will have no end so yeah. we'll, we'll avoid it we'll avoid yeah, it yeah and, and art styles and so forth so so yeah. uh, i think i think those are those are to me secondary like the most important part of a taxonomy that allows you to compare mostly apples to apples that's the key yeah. and then inside that you can start going in okay these are the top games who's growing who's not and then you do more analysis of the games that are moving up and down by looking at what kind of feature sets they have, what kind of styles they have, what kind of marketing assets they have, and that requires more analysis. And, um, and that's why it's important to, to keep it consistent and not listen to, to your clients. <laughs> <laughs> because if they are into that, they can make their own taxonomies. Go ahead, let's do it. And they, do, they, they have, they have yeah, their own internal taxonomies. Yeah, and tag your game to whatever the hell you want it to be and and enjoy enjoy this tagging and and pick your own competitors and <laughs> if you think that's the right way but it's uh you know it's it's it is what it is um right. so third-party stores by the way uh by this mean like the epic store on android phone or do you mean like the huawei uh, yeah like huawei. more that yeah. more that more more the huawei stores yeah more, more towards the uh okay do you have any numbers for the huawei store uh, not that we publish publicly, at least, okay. uh, we, we kind of aggregate them all together into third party app stores, but for 2020 or 2020, the one, we estimate that to be around 15%. So, wow. I, I always, quite a large share. I really wondered who uses that because like, they don't even have Google maps. Like you can't even order a, if you would use an Uber or Lyft or anything, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Or a food delivery, you couldn't do that. Like that's a, you know, it's a pretty big handicap. I understand they have a good camera, but if I would have to choose between <laughs> <Yeah>. megapixels <laughs> and, and ordering food or a, or a ride, I would, or like anything, I would rather take Google Maps. Yep, yep, but- uh, Shout out maybe. to Huawei, all, all the best to you on, on, the, uh, on the app gallery. <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh, outlook for 2021 so how is like the next year has to be a decline year right yes yes correct correct yes um and how it's much? it's it, uh <laughs> not that much um we are we're very we're optimistic i would say still uh just a one 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 and one point one percent decline 
Oh, wow. Um, that's total market, though. Um, console, we forecast to decline 9%. So that's quite hefty. Um, PC, 3%. Uh, mobile, we still forecast growth. Um, 4%, so it's, it's far below the 27% that it was last year. Um, but mobile despite was a... PC, despite... Despite yeah. IDFA, yeah, and yeah, what, yeah, yeah. recognize that uh, um, or uh, our numbers uh, for that we're, that we're saying right now, they only include in-app purchases. We don't consumer cover spending. Yeah, mm -hmm. got yeah. it. Okay, so the 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 eighty-seven billion is not including uh, advertising. Not including. That's correct. Holy shit. Okay. I, sh I should have mentioned that at the start, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> maybe at the start, um, the methodology but, a little bit. <laughs> this was, uh, yeah, so our, our market sizing covers consumer spend uh, on games. So it's um, games and game services. So we, we would, um, if you pay for a service that gets you access to games, so a Game Pass, but even um, PlayStation Plus, that we would consider because um, it allows you access to games. Mm -hmm. But advertising revenues, uh, it's not in there. Business to business revenues, licensing revenues, all of that is out of scope. Okay. Uh, so it's direct consumer spending. So, yeah, so that's especially important when we are looking at mobile for 2021. Um, this is a, a topic, of course, we, we looked at a lot, um, the ATT, IDFA changes. Um, and what we did was we went on a publisher by publisher basis. You know, how do they currently um, acquire users, at least from our perspective? What genres do they operate? Where do they earn their money regionally? And then, kind of give that, you know, what, what impact do we expect from the removal of IDFA? And what we found there is that if you're looking at the top dogs in terms of mobile revenues, the impact of that removal is going to be very little because they Tencent have their own- Tencent doesn't care, Yeah, right? Tencent doesn't care. They have their own player ecosystem. They have care. first party data, hmm. NetEase, um, the uh, console slash PC publishers gone to mobile. They probably don't care either. They probably don't use IDFA. Um, in Japan, it's user acquisition driven by IP strength and by IP usage. Um, and then the impact of that removal is also lessened. Um, I, I do have to disagree a little bit when you say they don't use IDFA. Like everybody uses performance marketing. Even let's say Call of Duty Mobile, their launch, massive. Pro, maybe the biggest launch on mobile in the, Western, in the Western world, probably. They got like 100 million installs in a very short time. Mm -hmm. They use plenty, like I understand that they use brand marketing, but that brand marketing was driven through Facebook campaigns and through all the other other channels of, of advertising. And all of those use IDFA um, because, and, and, and well, IDFA, all of those use a modern performance marketing tool. So when you yes. think about it, it's a campaign and in a campaign, you have different ad sets and an ad set, you have different creatives. So meaning you do different targeting and you do different ads. Uh, to one set of targeting. So you're trying different, uh, inside one campaign, you're trying different demographics, different um, different attributes, different audiences, and you show those different audiences a wide set of different ads, and then you modify your ads and, and, uh, and programmatically improve them to be better at the acquisition. And at the same time, you're looking at what kind of players you're getting inside your game so that you can hone down on specific audiences. Now, I understand with big launches, with publishers like you know Activisions and EAs that are going to be dropping Apex Legends and there's going to be a Battlefield game and so forth they don't care they they do the the typical thing here's the campaign we're going to drop 
35 to 45 million on this. And it's going to be on all the channels. And basically you can't walk outside or open up any kind of app without seeing our, our ad. And they are not looking probably that much at payback. But after that, they have to, you know, there has to be some kind of advertising. And I think that's going to be uh, hindered because they're kind of like half flying blind and there's not that many campaigns. So it goes back to brand campaigns. So anyway, all I'm saying is they do use it. And, and, and even the, if they are not the, uh, the most uh, savvy in programmatic user acquisition, they still use the tools. So we're, we forecast that, or we predict that the growth that's going to come from a lot of the new title launches, and there is massive launches that are coming. So Apex yeah. Legends being one of them, we think it's going to be, be big, especially in China. Um, but also things like, you know, uh, the, the, there's, there's a lot of um, PC console franchises that are coming, like The Witcher, for example, is also coming to, to mobile. So these big PC console franchises that are coming to mobile that don't rely as strongly uh, on IDFA, they have a very strong brand. And we think overall, the growth that will come from Asia, the growth that will come from this will kind of overshadow the negative impact. So yeah, we did kind of forecast which publishers might have some negative impacts versus not. And we still think that the growth will kind of over overshadow uh, the downsides. I do have to say Witcher is not a big fan. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> After the Netflix show? Yeah. After, like they can do seven Netflix shows. I'll give them like 50 million in downloads max. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry about it. Like, and the show is great. <laughs> That's fine. The games are great. But if League of Legends can't get, you know, that many installs on mobile with, with all, all their... Um, I'm actually going to look at Witcher at the moment. They they already launched the uh, the Gwent game. Yeah. 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 They did. I, I have to I have to see how many how many installs did that game get because they have advertised that quite a lot and during the uh, the whole lifetime of that game. I'm I'm sorry I went on a tangent but I need to figure this out. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Five and a half million according to Sensor Tower. So so. You know, I'll triple that on the, uh, on the uh, <laughs> bigger, bigger Witcher game, but that's all they're gonna get. So, <laughs> yes, and, and uh, at some point we'll get Diablo Immortal as well. And yeah, yeah, that's right, Diablo Immortal. That's, that was that, the one. That I... should be a big one. Yeah. yeah. Do you also not predictions? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll give a predictions, but it's uh, but it's because uh, because of it doesn't have autoplay, for example. Like they, the designers are basically, we don't care how players play yeah. games on mobile. This game, <laughs> this game, you will have to play it. You can't just watch it like any RPG game on mobile, whether it's Lineage or Strike Force. They're like, no, in this game, you, it doesn't warm your phone. You have to actually play. Thanks. Thanks for not listening to your, to your audience on mobile and doing whatever you want to do. So I don't give them, you know, too much leeway on that game. We see that more and more the the PC console publishers though are are bringing their big franchises, which were only on PC or console, now to more to mobile. Like Path of Exile is going to get a mobile version. Devil May Cry is getting mobile. Um, Final Fantasy VII is getting two mo new mobile games, right? So I think the the interest in the the PC console publishers bringing their titles to mobile those are those are going to be strong um, with certain target audiences. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, um, and I think Call of Duty Mobile is a great example of, of how to do it well. And then, of course, they, they worked with Tencent on that game. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that it is a shooter game. And, and usually when looking at the audiences coming in, like the new audiences and, and, and audience rates, 
the more mid core, the, the growth in the more core games has been due to the shooter players coming in onto mobile and, and actually preferring shooter games as, as new audience. So it, it's no wonder that that did so well. RPG has not been growing that much in terms of downloads and it's still dominated mainly by the Asian games and mainly by squad yeah. RPG, these sort of automated games. So I don't, I don't give, yeah, I, 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 it's just hard for me to see uh, Diablo doing too well based on everything that we've seen in the market for the past eight years. I'll play it. <laughs> no, it's a d- different thing whether you play it or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're and for us, Diablo is such a big thing, but how many copies have Diablo actually sold? Yeah, yeah. I played all the Diablos, of course, but but we're nerds. So that's yeah. a different thing. Like yeah. you have to kind of take a step back and be like, who actually yeah, played yeah. Diablo? And is it is it really that big of a franchise? So... I think for Asian markets, it, it could do pretty well. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I just don't think so because it's designed and made by, well, not made, but designed by by Blizzard and and uh, by Netties. It's made by Netties, but designed by Blizzard. So I think there, if it would be just Netties, I would give it more leeway. But um, I think you know we'll see, we'll see. Um, well, Blizzard is not the same Blizzard anymore, so there's that. Just Blizzard doesn't do mobile games. Yeah. Yep. So, so, and everybody so, left, but that's that's another topic, another story. Yeah, we, we cover that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> With long rants. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, so, so, so what's the... Uh, so the outlook is still that it's going to be pretty much the same. So the growth that we have achieved on mobile during the, the last crazy year yep. is going to be pretty much sustained. Sustained, yes. Okay, that's interesting because when I was looking at a lot of the graphs with the lockdowns and post lockdowns, like whenever the restrictions were taken down, we saw significant decrease in revenues and then downloads and everything kind of returned and normalized. Of course, not the same thing in Holland that has been in lockdown forever. Still yeah, lockdown. <laughs> still in lockdown. But especially <laughs> looking at the Chinese market uh, where the lockdowns came in, super brutal lockdowns, and then they kind of, you know, then it was mm-hmm. just a party. Uh, and we saw the uh, the mobile revenues decline quite rapidly after after the lockdowns have been lifted. And all I can see is our podcast listeners. That's another good example because <laughs> seldom listened in a lockdown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen when commuting and when doing other stuff, like nobody, you know, people don't have the other uh, patience to just listen to voice in a lockdown. And what what I would see is significant spikes in revenue and revenue sorry in in um in listening when the lockdowns are taken off and then when the lockdowns begin again we see drop in listens so i think uh i think the same kind of applies to like this is just a habit that i'm seeing yeah yeah well the good news is that we we make quarterly updates so you know mm-hmm. if we see that dip then then we can immediately adjust adjust course and but- continue to review the financial uh, reports that that get put out every quarter. Yeah. But what's interesting is 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 of course um, we just got some like now some Q1 results are trickling in, and of course Q1 was still half out of lockdown, so it, it's not really a, a good proxy for. Um, but take China for example, which went into lockdown quite early, um, so you would expect to see that big spike in revenue, and we saw that at the time as well in like February, February, March. And then we get the Q1 report, uh, admittedly, from the, from the Chinese uh, uh, agency. So uh, mm-hmm. take those numbers with a grain of salt, but they still report growth. Um, 
and it's the same that we see in terms of what people are actually playing um, that we get through our, our data partner, Optopia. There isn't actually that much of a dip compared to last year. It, it, there's still, it's, it's tiny. It, the growth doesn't compare to last year, but there's still some growth. Um, so that's why, you know, we thought or we forecast that even though last year was a crazy year, um, the mobile market will be able to sustain that increase and, and even grow it a tiny bit compared to last year. Well, I sure hope so. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I, me too. I, I, I love being right, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. And, and uh, as Khan has mentioned, um, the reasons we do quarterly updates is also so that we are able to adjust. If we see the market um, takes a very different direction to what we would now um, estimate um, that is now, of course, an informed estimate or an informed forecast at this point. Um, but we do have room to, to adjust course if we see that the, the numbers uh, are different. Well, yeah. listen, Candice, Tom, thank you so much for, for all the information. How can people get their hands on your latest reports and enter the analytics platform or consulting? Yeah, platform.newsu.com is, is our platform page, but but newsu.com, you'll be able to, to sign up for, for a free tier um, and, and see what's in there uh, and, and understand all the different products that we have through through the platform. There's actually one last product that, that I want to mention that I think oh. is probably most relevant for this audience. I know, there's, but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> we got all the time. I know. Uh, we have a monthly active mobile device uh, tracker or monthly mm -hmm. active mobile device data. So we partner with um, Pushwish and Talking Data to get a monthly sample of 400 million devices, so smartphones um, that are that are active, like in uh, I don't know, it's like 43 countries or something. Um, and then we enrich that data with uh, more metadata or detailed information on the specific device types, such as like the chipset or the screen size, memory size, um, and even the the average price per model. And so that, that, again, that's a monthly sample of 400 million devices uh, globally. So people are interested, more interested in, in this product in a post-IDFA world because they can use it to um, make some estimations on the segmentation uh, in certain countries based on, for example, the, the average price per model, making some guesses about the socioeconomic uh, uh, wealth information of the demographics for smartphone users. So the, this again, yeah, just another a product that we have. It's not one of the, the core pillars, but we think it's 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 still really interesting, especially in a post-IDFA world. So just throwing that out there, if you're interested, you can check it out on Newsy's website or contact me or Tom and any of us, and we will direct you to the correct person. Perfect. And I'll add in the descriptions below um, the links to your LinkedIn page so people can contact directly. Yeah, oh, great. Awesome. Yes, and, um, contact. All the questions. Question, by the way, question. Is there, um, is there more demand for, especially on the mobile side, uh, for, for your consulting service and everything now, now with the IDFA deprecating with where, you know? So I, I, can, I can share that we have had several inquiries from the mobile side. Um, what, what's happening is they are looking more at traditional marketing and, and what PC and console publishers have been doing because PC and console publishers have not used IDFA really uh, for the longest time. Like historically, they have been using primarily, you know, more linear traditional marketing campaigns. And so uh, we have noticed that there's an interest in kind of learning from that, but also just 
marketing campaigns in general from 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 like Coke or other brands like what do other brands traditional brands do for, mm -hmm. for marketing so definitely there's a there's an active interest in diversifying the um the types of marketing so it's not relying on just digital and the other thing is we've had a lot of interest in um IP games so we also have a database full of IP games mm -hmm. cross platform it's like I don't know 400 or something um and uh, there is an interest in, in seeing that and saying, okay, well, what types of genres have been paired with what types of IP and like, who are the developers that are best at building IP games and what regions have they been mo most successful in? So there is more interest from the IP side as well, because that's seen as a way to boost user acquisition in an yeah. idea faithless yeah. world. Yeah, exactly. Though those predictions, we made those predictions in, in the beginning of the year, it makes media model becoming more important. Um, IPs become more important. Also, IPs being pretty desperate at the moment, especially entertainment IPs. Like right. Oscars had their worst viewership after the worst viewership of the last year, and this was like half of the last year. So, so movie business definitely, you know, uh, and entertainment streaming wars, all that happening. So there's there's probably a lot of a lot of demand from the IP side, uh, willingness to work with gaming studios that have been growing during the same time. So I think that's those are just the economic factors driving uh driving that but interesting to know that you have those type of um those those type th that type of data because yeah that's that's super valuable to see how how different ips have worked together with, with different genres different games and makes all the sense so new zoo full of all kind of information 100 people yeah. <laughs> day and night to get the best possible data lots of insights yeah to make the right decisions for your business whether it is cloud <laughs> mobile, console, VR, AR, you name it. If it has a joystick or a virtual joystick, Nuzu knows about we it. We try to track it. We can measure it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for, for joining and, and bringing all this information. Welcome to, back to the podcast as soon as you have uh, more more data and we can update those. Sir, thanks so much for having us on. And, and I just want to say, you know, Deconstructor of Fun was my uh, my entrance to, to the mobile industry in a big way when I was uh, an MBA intern at Blizzard, how many years ago? Three, four years ago. Uh, and I used Deconstructor of Fun uh, to, to learn about the mobile industry a lot myself. So I feel like I've come full circle now where I'm actually yeah. here on your podcast. So th <laughs> thank you so much. Definitely <laughs> okay, helps. Thank you. thank you so much. Yeah. Same here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us. It's a, it's a pleasure. Of course. All right. Thanks everybody for listening and check out New Zoo's webpage. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.